Chapter 8 of Idilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Taylor Winstead. Idilla by Sarah Grand. Chapter 8. When we were a small party of intimate friends, and Idilla was quite at her ease with us, it was pleasant to see her lolling a little languidly, as was her wont, for physically her energy was fitful, in the corner of a couch looking happy and interested her face which was sad in repose lit up for the time with amusement as she quietly listened to our talk and observed all that was going on around her even when she did not speak a word she somehow managed to make her presence felt and as a rule she spoke little on these occasions but sometimes we managed to draw her out and sometimes she would burst forth suddenly of her own accord with a torrent of eloquence that silenced us all and even when she was utterly wrong, she charmed us. Her chance observations were generally noteworthy, either for their sense or their humor. It was only her sense of humor, I think, that saved her from being sentimental. But she gave expression to it in season and out of season, and would let it carry her too far sometimes, for she made enemies for herself more than once by the way she exposed the absurdity of certain things to the very people who believed in them. Every lapse of this kind caused her infinite regret but the fault seemed incurable. She was always either repenting it or committing it, although, having so many quirks of her own, she felt that she, of all people in the world, should have dealt most tenderly with the weaknesses of others. She knew how narrowly she escaped being sentimental, and would often joke about her danger in that respect. This lovely summer weather makes me sickly sentimental, she told me once. I feel like the heroine of a three-volume novel written by a young lady of eighteen, and I think continually of him. I don't know in the least who he is, but that makes no difference. The thought of him delights me, and I want to write long letters to him and make verses about him the whole day long, and he wants me to be good. She had two or three pet abominations of her own, any allusion to which was sure to make her outrageous. False sentiment and affectation of any kind were amongst them. She had little habits, too, that we were all pleased to fall in with. Sitting in the corner of a couch, and of one couch in particular, in every house, was one of these, and people got into the way of giving up that seat to her whenever she appeared. I think it would have puzzled us all to say why or wherefore, for she never said or looked anything that could make us think she wished to appropriate it. She simply took it as a matter of course when it was offered to her, and probably did not know that she invariably sat there. Idila was a splendid horsewoman, and swam like a fish, but she was not good at tennis or games of any kind, and she did not dance, for a curious reason. She objected to be touched by people for whom she had no special affection. She even disliked to shake hands, and often wished someone would put the custom out of fashion. With regard to dancing, I have heard her say, too, that she sympathized entirely with the oriental feeling on the subject. She thought it delightful to be danced, too to lie still with a pleasant companion near her who would not talk too much and listen to the music and enjoy the poetry of motion coolly and at ease i love to see the dancers dancing in tune she said but to have to dance myself would be as great a bother as to have to cook my dinner as well as eat it i suppose it is a healthy amusement indeed i know it is when you take it as i do for when all you people come down the morning after a dance with haggard eyes and no power to do anything i am as fresh as a lark and have decidedly the best of it she was not good at games because she was not ambitious. She did not care to have her skill commended and was content to lose or win with equal indifference, so long as only the honor of the thing was involved. But when the stakes were more material, she showed a vice of which she was quite conscious. I daren't play for money, she said to me. I never have, and I have always said that I never will. 
All the women in my family are born gamblers. My mother has often told me that regularly, when she was a girl, the day after she received her allowance, she'd either doubled it or lost it all. And before she was, she was 20, she had no jewel worth anything in her possession. And my aunts were as bad. One of them staked herself one night to a gentleman she was playing with, and he won and married her. Gambling was more the custom then than it is now, but for me it is as much in the air as, as if it were still the fashion. When there is any talk of play, I feel fascinated, and when I see a pack of cards, the temptation is so irresistible that I have often to go away and save my resolution. Which made me think of a favorite quotation of Lessing's from Mina. Tu es gens d'esprit le jeu et la folie. End of chapter 8